Yo, Danny. What's up, Ty? You know, just going to talk about some Satan and blood on his claw, <laughs> apparently. I agree with the director. The other name is better. I agree as well. After Satan's knowing skin. the facts, yeah. But anyway, we can get into all that. This is episode 122 of Fried Squirms, where we're getting stoned and talking to you about horror movies. Actually, I should probably take a hit. What kind of news do you got today while I hit this? All right, so throughout the week, I was pretty laid back, didn't do a whole heck of a lot, but I did take in a movie on Friday night, so the Roxy in town, they showed Demons from 1985. It's a film that was produced by Dario Argento. It was directed by Lumberto Bava, which is the son of Mario Bava, and arguably one of Lumberto's better films. Some might argue it's his best film. I had a good time. I owned the film. I got it way back when, when Anchor Bay was releasing a bunch of the films, the Italian films, that is. And uh, long story short, I had a good time. Ran into one of the vendors that delivers at our store. I hung out with him and his lady friend. So yeah, I had a good time, man. It was a fun experience because the film is set in a theater. Mm-hmm. So it gets meta that way. <laughs> nice. So yeah, it's pretty fun. I had a good time. Heck yeah. Is that your favorite of that Bava's films, or what would you say is your favorite? I would argue Demons 1 and 2 are really good. Outside of that, uh, they're kind of hit or miss, to be honest, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll probably have to cover Demons at some point Yeah, anyway. it's, it's a fun film, for sure. Shit, yeah, I don't really have much. I didn't do much, etc. Well, my brother came to town, so I got to hang out with him and shit. Nice. Otherwise, I just fucking play video games and shit. My <laughs> normal, yeah. My normal bullshit. Let's see, what do we have for news from this week? I saw a couple things. Well, um, I can either start off on a sad note, or we can start on something uh, maybe not so let's much. Let's start with the sad note so we can move on to the happy shit after. All right, so this actually happened last week. I think it happened either as we were recording or after the fact, but unfortunately, Billy Drago has passed away at the age of 73. Now, we've talked about him because we've covered... The Hells of Eyes, that's a 2006 Alexander Aja's version. And we've also covered him because he was in an episode of Masters of Horror, and that was for Takashi Miike's imprint episode. But, I mean, he's known for all kinds of cool films. There was one I watched recently because I picked it up, and that's Vamp. It's a pretty decent 80s horror film. Apparently he was in a bunch of films with Chuck Norris, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> neat. Yeah, I mean, he's also been in Brian De Palma's The Untouchables and Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider. But yeah, unfortunately he has passed away. And he's kind of an iconic, uh, I won't say like an imposing figure, but he has a uh, very definitive face too. Like once you see it, you kind of can't forget it. Yeah, I agree. And I also felt really bad that I didn't catch the news that he died till like a couple days after. I was like, oh shit. Yeah, and I think the my same bad, day it was Billy. like my bad. the what was it the the guy who played the dad on Alf had passed away, and there was an, another actress. They all passed away on the same day, which is kind of unfortunate. But yeah, that's the little bit of bad news. I guess going into some good news is that we've talked about the upcoming Ghostbusters several times because of some of the cast members that are returning from the original franchise, and one new face, and that is Paul Rudd, has announced that he is joining the cast. So. Pretty excited, big Paul Rudd fan. Just about everything he's in is either pretty decent or he's, you know, the spotlight, <laughs> it seems like, in those films. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I suppose sort of in the same vein and kind of time period as Ghostbusters, with a little bit more along the lines of horror comedy, Warner is going to be doing its own streaming service coming up soon. How that's going to affect the current DC streaming service, nobody quite knows yet, because DC is owned by Warner Brothers. Oh, yeah. But as part of that, they just ordered an animated Gremlins prequel. 
Huh. That'd be uh, interesting. As according to, to uh, Variety. Ten episode, half hour series. It's going to be Sam Wing at, yeah, no, no. Like, at like ten years old with Gizmo. And like how he met Gizmo and started hanging out. I wonder out. if that's the kid in the uh, the shop, if that's what yeah. you're talking about. Okay, okay, cool. And I think it's the old man in the shop. Because ah. it's going to be set like back in the 1920s. Okay, well that makes even more sense. Nice. Yeah. That'll be a really interesting, like an and origin it's gonna story. Be, and it's going to be like them like fighting monsters from Chinese folklore. I have. This sounds like the fucking second Damn. reincarnation in like the Jackie Chan adventures or something. But. <laughs> well, it's kind of piqued my curiosity at this point. Yeah, we'll see how it actually turns out. I'm excited. I loved Gremlins. So. Oh, dude. It's another one of those two I'd seen, the uh, the Roxy. So I would definitely check that out. Let me see. According to Deadline, they're trying to make a Hellraiser TV series. Huh. Any uh, news about Clive Barker being on board? I do not know. I mean, if they're making it, then they have the rights to make it so they can use the mythology from the show. But yeah. I don't know whether Clive himself is actually involved in any way. And it seems like it's still pretty early in development, but it's one of those things that they're really trying to push forward. So, especially because like horror is selling right now, and there is oh, a man, unbelievable. a horror revival of about that time period. So. That's a good point. You know, we've made mention too that it seems like a lot of the films that are coming out now are from people like who are basically in our same age group. You know, so now they're getting to show their influences, and a lot of those films happen to be seventies, eighties horrors. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about that too. But I think one of the producers from it, I don't remember if there was one producer or multiple producers. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Roy Lee and the producer of Ready Player One are huh. collaborating on it. So Neat. This one's just kind of horror adjacent, but Netflix just did a huge order and they're going to adapt DCs since Vertigo just died. Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Nice. Which is one of my favorite comic series of all time. I have a fucking Sandman tattoo on my leg. So I'm really excited about that, but I really wanted to bring it up on this. A lot of it does end up being horror adjacent. And so if it ends up like faithful to the comics, we might actually get some super good horror moments. Nice. Because there's like a serial killer convention. One of the darkest comics DC's ever done is called 24 Hours. And it's just Dr. Destiny just having his way with these people in this diner for 24 hours before huh. Morpheus shows up and shit goes off between them but i think they're all dead by like hour 23 or 22 and the last two hours is him just being really fucking bored like <laughs> but before that he gets huh. really fucked up and oh that sounds interesting dude that's awesome so we'll see what actually happens with that i know that it's going to be really expensive which it's going to have to be to adapt sandman so we'll see how it goes forward but Nice, man. I know you mentioned a little something off air, which I had pulled up too, but if you want to talk about it, I'm more than happy about that too. What? Three from Hell? Oh, Three from Hell. Yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't keep it up on screen in front of me. That's I have okay. all the details. I, if you have all the details, you take I it. I don't have them in front of me, but I kind of remember them. So it looks like there's, what, a three-night premiere, September 16th through the 18th, and each one of those has a different format, the way they're doing it, like... I think the 16th for the first 50 audience members at each theater, they'll get a poster. It's only like 900 theaters. Yeah, so there's it's going to be select across the country. On the 17th, I think there's a half an hour behind the scenes or making of featurette. Mm -hmm. And then on the third night, they're doing a double feature with the Devil's Rejects, which is really cool. So decide what you want to do, especially if you're near any of those theaters. Oh, shit. We're going to try to find out if we're by any of those theaters. That would be super dope. 
Probably not. We'll <laughs> yeah. find out. I mean, that'll be September. So we're getting close. Yeah. Uh, and we'll have to them. announce that before too long which theaters they are exactly. I didn't see any links showing that yet. But, nah, but we'll keep our eyes peeled. I'm sure that'll probably be up within the next week. I mean, I think the announcement just came a couple hours ago. By the time you're listening to this, the information is probably out. But, I mean, we're not involved with them, so we yeah. don't fucking know. I mean, we'll keep our audience up to date, too, just in case. But, yeah, that's pretty exciting. I know it's one we're looking forward to. We're fans of House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil Rejects. So, yeah, dude, looking forward to it. This is interesting. I was just talking about one TV adaptation I'm super excited about. This one, I don't know what this means. I mean, I mean, I guess what it means is we're not getting the bad version. But the CW has been trying to do a Lost Boys series. I think they might have shot a pilot. Huh. It sounds like they shot a pilot from the news I read. And they're scrapping the entire pilot and recasting everybody but the two leads. Wow. Who are the two leads? I think that's probably I, the, the lead in. <laughs> or do you know? Medallion Rahimi and Dakota Shapiro. I have no fucking idea who they are. Uh, well, co-star in the new reworked pilot. And so Rahimi plays Stella, a new version of Star. Okay. And Shapiro is David. Okay. Okay. Huh. Okay. So that'll be interesting, man. There's Shapiro. So he's playing David. Yeah. Kiefer Sutherland, <laughs> essentially. Huh. Um, interesting. It looks like they're listing the people that had been cast, but I guess it really doesn't fucking matter now because they're about to redo it with <laughs> a bunch of new people. So, yeah. huh? I mean, plus I guess CW... something wasn't. I mean, I like what they've been doing overall because they do all my fucking superhero shows. Yeah. But it also means that it's going to kind of end up following a little bit of a formula. And that's like I kind of had that feeling when when you said that. It's like, oh, I kind of know what so, their thing is. So far, like I like a lot of what they do. But do I need to see that applied to Lost Boys? Maybe, maybe not. It depends. Yeah, it depends on, on how it plays out. But, I mean, that's another one of those you just talked about, like an 80s revival. Mm -hmm. Here's another version of that. I might be a little bit more excited if it was being overseen by the guy that's doing all the rest of those shows, by Greg Berlanti, but I don't think it is. Yeah, so... So uh, we'll uh, see what happens. Yeah, no doubt. I only had one other thing, and that's something we just watched. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about that, that's cool. Because apparently they put out the uh, Jacob's Ladder 2019 trailer, so we watched it right before we started recording. Yeah, we did. Lot seems familiar, but in a slightly different context. Yeah, they changed and some of the family dynamic. They changed some of the family dynamic, for sure. It's a modern um, telling, of course. It seems that the twist is going to be somewhat similar, but it's definitely not the same twist. Yeah, I, I am agree. very curious as to what the fuck's going on. Yeah, I mean, I think because it's not trying to be the original, which is a good thing, mm -hmm. typically, it makes me more curious about what angle they're trying to go for. So I'm probably more inclined to check it out. Whether it's in the theater or not, that's a different story, but I'd still like to check it out. The trailer did what it's supposed to do. It has me intrigued. It showed me a lot of stuff that I recognize as being Jacob's Ladder, and it showed me a lot of stuff where I realize I don't know what's going on, even though I know Jacob's Ladder. Exactly. And that kind of makes me curious as well. So, yeah, didn't look too bad. No. Lead actors are pretty good. Seen them in a bunch of shit. I'm not too worried about over-spoiling myself for Jacob's Ladder, to be completely honest, because I'm just really not sure <laughs> how they're going to capture the same feeling as the first one. Man, that, uh, the original is so good. So I think 
unlike Midsommar, where that first trailer was the only one I intentionally watched, I'm probably going to keep up on the trailers on this one and then decide whether I'm going to go catch it in theaters or not. Yeah, that's a good point. But still got me curious, like Mm -hmm. you said. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. All right, so I've got a few other bits of news. Most of it has to do with like upcoming releases for Blu-rays, but one of them, for those who are curious, we're fans of the Halloween series. So if you're a fan of that series and you like to collect things, this is a big collector's item because this is actually a house. So the house from Halloween 4 is currently up for sale in Salt Lake City, and it is open for tour. So for those who are curious... It is located, like I said, in Salt Lake City. There's even the address. Uh, you can look at it. I'm bloody disgusting. It's a four-bedroom house. It's currently listed for about $880,000. And tours can be scheduled through Redfin. So, huh. If you're fans and you want that house, it's Right, if Halloween sale. 4 is your jam. Salt Lake City's not bad. Which it's one was super white bread. Uh, I think that was a return of Michael Myers. Right. And that introduced, uh, I want to say, it was his niece or something like that? So no Halloween three. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> and that hence the I think the return. Uh, yeah. All right. So the other bits of news I have for those who are fans of Arrow Video, which you know you and I both have a couple of different items from them. They are releasing some pretty cool titles. That includes Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes Part Two. This is slated for september so no honestly i've been in the mood to buy something lately so yeah. while you're telling me what they're releasing i'm bringing up their website right now because yeah, i might do a little bit of browsing uh <laughs> if you're living in the uk look for it to be released on september 16th here in the states it's going to be on september 17th the other titles that are included are the prey that's getting a release excuse me in september and the film who saw her die yeah that's being released as well it looks like macabre visions the films of mario bava are also getting set to be released in the UK, which I might get my hands on as well. So you're gonna get your hands on this Shram? Yeah, dude. Oh man, they have some really cool feet. I've got that box set. I was like, I, I really don't need it. But <laughs> the single releases that Arrow put out for Jörg Bootgrates, his German films, holy fuck. Necromantic, both of those releases are dope. So yeah, pretty excited about some of Arrow's releases. So Another distributor that we're fans of, and that is Scream Factory. They are bringing The Omen, the franchise collection of Blu-ray, with a 4K remaster of the original. So for fans of that, it is limited to a 10,000 unit. A lot of those go pretty fast. It's a really sweet deluxe edition box set. For fans of those, it's probably one of those you might want to get your hands on before it gets sold out. And the last little bit of news I have, it's also about Scream Factory, is that they are releasing The Blob, and that's Chuck Russell's version, on Blu-ray in October. And another one of those is going to have a really cool cover. It's going to have some pretty cool special features. So, yeah, get your hands on that if you're a fan of The Blob. Hell, yeah. I'm still out of news. No, that's it. I've pretty you're much covered news? what I've been up to. That was the horror news that I found that was interesting. The other big news, Good. really, for us... we're one step closer to Satan. We're one step closer, too, to a big movie premiere that we've been really highly anticipating. Oh, man. I mean, let's be honest. We're probably going to record a little bit of something after we go see Midsommar. I would think so, yeah. So you're probably going to hear our reactions to Midsommar before you even hear this episode. It's a good possibility. We'll see what actually ends up happening, because we're lazy stoners. But, (laughs) but, yeah. Maybe I'll put them out the same day. Might be a good double feature, perhaps. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how we, it actually. We'll ends see up how stoned happening. we are. 
either way, it's all in the future. But Midsummer's coming out soon. We're super excited. We're doing Blood on Satan's Claw to finish off the Unholy Trilogy of folk horror. Did you realize folk horror has only been a term for like 10 years? I did not realize that until actually reading some information about it. But it's like, wow, that's okay. Yet like the three prime examples of the subgenre subgenre are from 40 years ago. That's crazy. Anyway. Midsummer looks like it's the new gen folk horror. We've been touching on a little bit of new gen folk yeah, horror. We have. But today we're going to first start off by getting into the guts and bolts of one of the predecessors, The Blood on Satan's Claw. Guts and bolts. All right, we're into the guts and bolts. This is our spoiler free section of who went into the making of this movie, just to give them their dues real quick before we get on to what we actually thought about this movie. But to start off, I'll give a spoiler-free synopsis as best I can. No doubt. Shit. The Blood on Satan's Claw is about Satan. It's not actually Satan, is it? Behemoth? I mean, not that it's a spoiler, but that's what it is. But, yeah. Yeah. It seems like pretty pussy Satan. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, <laughs> we're, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Just gradually possessing a village and a cult working its way around him, and the people trying to survive caught within. Yeah. I've seen different time periods set for this film, somewhere between the 17th and 18th century, essentially. It's supposed to be a little bit after Witchfinder General. Yeah. So, so somewhere in that time period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, cool, man. So, like every week, we like to talk about the people going to making the film. This week, I'll lead off with our director, who is also part of the writing team and that is Piers Haggard. Now he's known for directing such films as Pennies from Heaven, The Fiendish Plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, and the film Conquest. And along with writing the film, the screenplay was written by Robert Wynn Simmons and he's known for writing screenplays for such films as L'Eredita de Diavolo, Double Piquette, The Outcasts. Our cinematographer, huge name, might be one of the best names ever. It's because our cinematographer today is Dick Bush. Oh, yeah. And when you look at Dick's filmography, he has helped DP for such films as Alice in Wonderland, and that's the 1966 version. He's known for being the DP on Twins of Evil, Dracula AD 1972. Ooh, Lair of the White Worm. Yeah, that's a pretty dope film. Some of his more, yeah, more recent films are like... Trail of the Pink Panther, Curse of the Pink Panther from the 80s. A film I enjoyed, The Philadelphia Experiment. Pretty dope film. Yeah, if you've ever seen Little Monsters with Fred Savage. Oh, shit, and Howie Mandel. (laughs) Dude, love that film. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's also known for being the DP on Tommy from 1975. Oh, dude, I love Tommy. Tommy is probably one of the reasons why I eventually took drugs as an adult. I watched Tommy a lot of times as a teen. Dude, I taped it off a of fucking VH1, VH1 when they showed nice. it one time. And because of that, I actually got to bring it into, like, fucking music class on days when I knew that there was going to be a sub because of, like, oh, yeah. fucking teacher conferences and shit. And they were like, well, it's, like, music history, so you guys get to watch Tommy because awesome. Tyler has it recorded. <laughs> Thank Tyler you, Tyler. recorded Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> you damn right. I don't up to that, too. Why not? All right, so... We have music by Mark Wilkinson, and he's known for composing music for such films as If, followed by The Three Ellipses, 
He's also known for conducting music for The Mango Tree, the film The Bell, and the film The Quarter Mass Conclusion. Our makeup, because it wasn't really a special effects team on this, it was just mostly makeup hands, but this was a big name. And this person is Eddie Knight. And I started looking at some of those film credits, and actually is a film we've covered. I don't think we mentioned him, but he was a makeup artist for The Devil Rides Out. Highly recommend that film. Going along such films as Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. He's done stuff for Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. <laughs> That's kind of neat. Just a lot of really cool shit, man. Even some popular films like Willow, Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusades. So he's got his hands kind of on all kinds of cool projects. Yeah, pretty cool makeup effects artist on this. I think some of the makeup effects are pretty decent, too, for the time period. Not bad. All right, this film was produced by Peter L. Andrews and Malcolm Hayworth. Production companies were Tygen, British Films Productions, and Chilton Film and Television Enterprises. Distributors were Tygon Pictures for the 1971 United Kingdom theatrical Tygon, release. you'll remember from when we did Witchfinder. Yeah, General. that's probably their most well-known release. Well, they exerted some control over making sure this kind of had some ties to Witchfinder just because it was such a big hit. So it's kind of in the same universe because there's like the Book of Witches in it. That's a good point, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> And Canon Releasing Corporation helped with the 1971 United States theatrical release. The release dates were April 14th, 1971 in New York City here in the United States and July 16th, 1971 in London. It had a budget of an estimated seventy to $82,000, or pounds I should say. I have two taglines for this. The first one is, a chill-filled festival of horror. And the second one I have... Uh, it's... Not really a festival. Uh, not really, no. Maybe it goes a little bit better for Midsummer. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. So the second tagline I have for the film is a living nightmare of black magic and unspeakable evil. That's better. Makes more sense. That's better. All right. So moving along, <clears throat> the cast of The Blood on Satan's Claw. So, oh my god. First off, there's going to be a lot of people we're going to have to mention, at least briefly, because there's a lot of people that have, like, equal screen time in this movie, because they keep getting fucking killed off. That's true. That's true. Or something will happen where they're just out of the picture for a bit, so, like, the smaller characters step forward for a bit. Anyway. But there's two that I just wanted to mention as being a really good nerd. Yeah. A lot of the people, due to this being from Britain have some sort of ties to Doctor Who. They certainly do. But there's two giant names that stand out. And it's because Anthony Ainley played the Master. Yeah. He was the first recurring Master after the death of Carlos Delgado. And Wendy Padbury was a companion. Yeah. Big names. Uh, I think she was a companion to the second Doctor. Yeah, was it like back in the 70s, I think? Yeah. Yeah, anyway... So, I think she was Zoe. I haven't watched many of the old Doctor Whos, to be honest, but I know a thing or two about a thing or two, because I do love me some Doctor Who. Nice, dude. And I just wanted to make sure to point them out to any other Whovians out there. Yeah, no doubt. You have a master and a companion in this movie. It's pretty big. And uh, another one of the guys was considered for the second Doctor. Nice. Sweet. But didn't actually get the role. (laughs) No doubt. All right, so I'll lead off with Patrick Weimark, and this is actually his last film that he was in. And he plays the character of the judge in this film, and people might know him because he was in the film Repulsion. That's a pretty big Polanski film. He was also in Witchfinder General, the films Where Eagles Dare, and The Battle of Britain. 
My next actress I have is Linda Hayden. She plays the role of Angel Blake. People might know her because she was in the film Taste the Blood of Dracula. She was also in the films Madhouse and The Boys from Brazil. The next actor I have is Barry Andrews. He plays the role of Ralph Gower. And he was in such films as Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, The Spy Who Loved Me, and he was also in Doctor Who back in 1979. Michelle Dotrice plays the role of Margaret. Now, she was in such films as The Witches and Soon the Darkness, Captain Jack, and a little film called Starfish. And was the daughter of Roy Dotrice. That's pretty cool. Roy Dotrice is an amazing actor. When I saw she was a Dotrice, I'm like, ooh, is she related to Roy Dotrice? And I looked it up, and she is absolutely the daughter. And I knew Roy Dotrice because I really liked the movie Shaka Zulu. Oh, nice, nice. When I was in, like, elementary school, because they used to play it on, like, all the time back on, like, old History Channel before they started showing alien bullshit all yeah, the time. Right. And he was King George the Fourth. He was also Mozart's father in Amadeus. He's not wow. even in this movie, and I am tr- just want to give But no, that's still a pretty neat little um, side trivia here. But then he was also Helene the Pyromancer in, like, the Blackwater episode of Game of Thrones. Oh, cool. And he was King Baylor in Hellboy 2 The Golden Army. Damn. Neat, neat little tie-in. Yeah, long fucking career, and I was just so excited when I was like, "Oh, a Dotrice is in this." Anyway, not minute, minute, minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving along. I have Winnie Padbury, who you've already mentioned. She plays the role of Kathy Vespers. She was in such things as Charlie Bubbles, and I did write down that she was in Doctor Who. This is starting in 1968. I think she had a different part back in 1983. So yeah, that's pretty neat. Moving along, I have Anthony Ainley. You've already mentioned him. He was the Reverend Fallowfield in the film. Now, he was in such films as Inspector Clouseau. You might have seen him in the film In the Devil's Garden. He was also in the films The Land That Time Forgot. And he did star in Doctor Who from 1981 through 1989. All right, Charlotte Mitchell, she plays the role of Ellen. Ellen is the maid of one of the family, and she's the mother of two characters in this film. All right, now, she was in such films as Village of the Damned. She was in Don Coscarelli's Jim, the World's Greatest. <laughs> so this is like pre-Phantasm. And she was also in the film Out of the Darkness. All right, moving along, I have Tamara Ustinov. She plays the role of Rosalind Barton. She was in such films as Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. She was in the film Tales of the Unexpected and The Last Horror Movie. And she's Angela Lansbury's niece. Yeah, another cool tie-in, right? Right, I've got a few more actors, and that kind of rounds out the cast. I'll start off with Simon Williams. He plays the role of Peter Edmonton. You might have seen him because he was in a Monty Python film entitled Jabberwocky. He was also in the Finnish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu. He was in 1988's Doctor Who season. He was also a voice actor in the video game Fable Part 3. And more recently, he was in the film Goodbye, Christopher Robin. All right, The next actor I have... Pretty big name, so... Okay, so the actor I have is James Hader, and he plays Squire Middleton. And when you look throughout his Fucking career... Fucking Yeah, it's like, this dude started all the way back in the 30s. He's been in some stuff that we grew up watching, probably our parents grew up watching. It's just a very big name. Like, he has a huge filmography. It's hard to, like, say, quote all his films. I uh, have absolutely... Pretty interesting. 
even though it's a movie from 1952, I've absolutely seen the story of Robin Hood as Merry Men. <laughs> yeah, I said he played the same role in the 67 film, A Challenge for Robin Hood. He was also, yeah, Samuel Pickwick in the Pickwick Papers. So if people are familiar with those films from the 50s, you've probably seen them. So yeah, pretty prominent actor from kind of a bygone era, which is kind of sad. But yeah, nonetheless. All right, moving along. I have Howard Gurney. He plays the doctor in this film. He has been in such films as The Evil of Frankenstein. He was in a Dudley Moore film with Raquel Welch, and that was Bedazzled. He was also in the film Fiddler on the Roof, and he was in the miniseries The Last Days of Pompeii. All right, I have two more actors, and that rounds out the cast. The first one I have is Avis Landon. She plays Isabel Banham. She was in such things as The Franchise Affair. She was in the television series The Avengers from 1964, and she was also in the film Nothing But the Best. And to conclude the cast, I have Robin Davies. He plays the role of Mark Vespers. He was in the film If, followed by those three ellipses. <laughs> he was also in the television series Play for Today from 1975 through 1977. He's also in the television series Spearhead from 78 through 81. And a little bit more recently, he was in Shakespeare in Love. So that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a synopsis. There are some warnings that we should give in this film. Satan and a Satan. Yeah, there's some Satan. There's some implied rape. I mean, you pretty much get to see it it's, played out. Yeah, it's it's rape. Well, we're gonna say it's. Oh, yeah, I won't say it's implied. It is rape. Let's see. There's a little bit of gore, some blood and gore. Not heavy, uh, but a little. Not bit. heavy, but yeah, kind of held back by the. Yeah, there's some boobs. The constraints of the time. Some boobs. Some bush. Some Satan. Min, yeah, min, some min, Satan. 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 A little bit of violence. Not much, but a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, like. The movie was a little bit more extreme than I thought it was going to be going into it, especially for being, what, 71? Yeah. Filmed in 70. And I mean, I've, I guess it's not like we haven't seen extreme from that time period, but this movie was more than I thought it was going to be going into it. And so it shocked me in that way. And I wouldn't be surprised if it affected people the same way. Yeah. It's, people the same way. It's a lot more visceral than I think it's expected from this film. Mm-hmm. Especially because I noticed that a lot of the, like, synopses online about this movie are extremely short and don't talk about, like, half of what happens in this movie. Good point, yeah. So, we'll get into that, and we'll talk about what the fuck happens in this movie and find out how it made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? Alright, we're here. Now we can say fucking spoilers. Satan. I mean, there's not many ways we could have spoiled this movie, really. I mean, the title. Kind we of barely even talked that. about the fucking judge, so. Yeah. There's a lot of things that the name kind of implies, but not necessarily goes there. I'm going to start off with a confession that almost every time we do one of these, I get to watch the movie twice beforehand. I only watched it this morning. It took a long time to download, and I wasn't prepared for that last night. I tried watching it last night, and I fell asleep. So. I did try watching it last night, and I fell asleep during a couple parts and then woke back up. My first impression of this movie was really negative because of that. Yeah, that's understandable. I liked it a lot more today. <laughs> last night, though, like, just the first five minutes put me off because the sort of sterile-looking period piece that it is... Yeah, yeah. Parts of it really work. Parts of it, you're like, they're not dirty enough. November November period. got it so much better. They looked dirty. Of course, much different time period. But it's really funny that What's-His-Name was fucking Friar Tuck. Oh, because yeah, yeah. 
my first impression of this was like, oh, this feels like a 1950s Robin Hood movie. That's funny. It kind of <laughs> does a little bit, yeah. But that only lasts for about 10 minutes, and then this movie it it goes up. kind of fucking bonkers kind of quickly when I think about it. Like, movie's an hour and a half long, and they're full-on Wicker Man by, like, minute 40. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the rest of the movie's them having to deal with that situation. But, like, what Wicker Man builds to the entire time over the course of the first hour and 30 minutes of that movie this one doesn't like the first 20 minutes <laughs> yeah. and then they're doing fucking rituals and shit already yeah exactly so you already know what the <clears throat> hell is going on at this point after a certain amount of time i mean this one they start off with homeboy running into the fucking face in the field yeah up to a certain point is referred to as a fiend mm-hmm. it's neither man nor animal my opening note for this movie was is that a wig <laughs> yeah there's a bunch of wigs in this film you're right that it does have more of a clean aesthetic than given the time period that it's set in. One of the things that I do like about this film, too, is the fact that you do get to see a little bit more of the countryside of England. And it does kind of encapsulate a certain time period because... And it wasn't super clean. No, the I mean, first part of the movie is yeah. pretty clean. But like later on, like they're having dirt fights, which... Yeah, so they get, a little, they get a little grimy. Not too bad. But you do. You get a little bit more of the sense of that countryside. And... It's a little bit more believable. Not that it's like wholeheartedly believable, but it has a, a certain aesthetic to it, yeah. So let me see. He fucking runs into the fiend face. Right. Goes and tells the judge. And that's our first little bit of Wymack? Wymark, yeah. Wymark. Patrick Wymark, yeah. I can't read my own writing. Wymark. Wymark really impressed me the second time through. The first time through, I really didn't like him because I wasn't paying enough attention and literally falling asleep. Second time through, still kind of didn't like him, but it's because I realized that his character was just kind of gruff and like kind of shitty. But yeah. I liked his performance was it's good. It's amazing. Yeah. I thought it was really good. My note is actually that it's so sad that he had a fucking heart attack at like age 40 or whatever, because I think he could have had a very long influential horror career. I think so. With the presence that he had. And my thought was like, if he would have been alive and still doing work up until the point that it was made, I kind of see him in the running for being a Dr. Loomis. Oh, you know, that's a good point. He could I mean, have. he wouldn't even have been considered at the time because he had been dead for... Seven or eight years at the point. Yeah, seven or eight years at that point. But if he would have still been alive and, like, putting out work... Yeah, you never know. I think he would have made a pretty good Loomis. You're right. He has a certain um, air to him, but he's a solid actor, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gives a really good performance. The character, kind of a dick. Not yeah. the worst. But he does There's well a lot of times well. where he could have been an even bigger dick. And he yeah. kind of just like held back and was like, I don't really want to do this. I just, <laughs> like, I don't want things to go to the fucking devil either. Like, Yeah. There's a telling line in this film where it was like, damn, that's kind of an asshole move. But in the movie sense, it makes sense because of the way it plays out. And that's, like, after all those series of events happened, that it finally reaches word to him and i want to say it's up to trying to think how far along there's a certain point where he's about to leave to go back to london is after he sees the dictionary i think it's the doctor who has it he's showing him all the stuff about kind of what's going around in town based off of the current events anyway he tells them that in order for things to get better i'm kind of paraphrasing it things have to get worse so he says you need to let it grow (laughs) You know, so he says, whatever's happening now, we got to make sure that it keeps going just to ensure that when time strikes, you know, we're ready. 
It's like, God damn, that's kind of fucked up thing to tell people because you're ditching town and they have to stay <laughs> and put up with this. Yeah. Deal um, with it. But he knew at a certain point it would expose itself. Yeah. And I mean... That's what I'm saying. It makes sense, but it's like, damn, that's kind of a fucked up way going about it's it. It's fucked up, but he was absolutely right. Because when he finally struck at the end, everyone who was, was a cultist perfect. was all in one fucking place. You saw exactly what their plan was. Yep. And he had the easy opportunity to stop. We're going to talk about this opportunity <laughs> to stop it. I kind of check out the last minute of this movie, but... <laughs> no, I, I know why. Yeah, I can understand all right, so the things I like about all of this stuff that's going on, right, is one of the first encounters you get is with Peter. Who, he seems like he's uh, some kind of lord of some sort, but he's come home with, like, his fiance, bride-to-be, and a series of events start to happen inside his the house. not having it. No, she's 100%. She even calls her out, like, at the table. She's like, well, maybe she's better at other things. <laughs> maybe she's not fit. It's like, damn, that's fucked up. <laughs> well, it's also fucked up, too, to, like invite her to games and make sure she stays around that late in the <laughs> night and then being like oh no i can't sleep here it's midnight ain't nothing open you gotta go home <laughs> it's like that's fucked up <laughs> you're right but the first encounter that we don't get to see is actually happens in that attic room and something happens with rosalind it plays out she winds up scratching his aunt right mm-hmm. and the aunt gets fucked up pretty good she looks like she has some kind of fever as a result. She didn't get as fucked up as she could have been when you finally see the claws that fucking did it. Yeah, so that's the first glimpse we get of kind of what's happening, right? Something connected to the field. And then his aunt runs away, never to be found, <laughs> apparently. So is the implication that the aunt is where Behemoth, Behemoth got most of the body? Because the implication kind of towards the end is kind of that, like... He's growing his body parts onto the followers, and then they're... Because you have the other girl with the... The stump. The stump. (laughs) And you have Homeboy ends up with his stump. Yeah, which that was And they're opposite hands, aren't they? That makes sense. And then I thought it was really cool, because they threw in the little thing where, like, there was just somebody said, oh, yeah, somebody says that there's been a fiend hobbling around on one leg, and then, like, ten minutes later is when Homeboy's leg... Yeah, you're like, oh, shit, damn, dude. And you're like, oh, that's his leg, you know? Yeah, he's missing. But you're right, all those body parts come into the So the implication must be that she's like the body, the basis, right? Yeah. That would be And then everything's sort of getting grafted on to her. Hence, probably why it was such a weak ass BMF to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, so you're right, all these things start to come together, right? The claws, the hands. Oh, homeboy cutting his hand off. I did like that, like where he goes back. That was like the night after. That was one of my favorite scenes in the it's movie. Good. A I thought the candle flickering out in time with the thunder. That's good. Was fucking killer. That was my initial note. I love the kind of weird body horror. You have the setup where he does get grabbed by the claw, so you don't realize the claw is him when he first starts stabbing yeah. it because you don't see it until he's already been stabbing it, oh, and oh, then the man. camera lines up in a way when you're like, oh, it's his hand. Yeah, which is kind of neat. This is another thing. I don't know how much. This is just me speculating. I wonder how much of an influence this might have on Sam Raimi once again. Just knowing some of these things. We talked about Bava with, what was it, the drip of water? You know, mm. using like the fly and this chopping the hand because it becomes. I do want to back up a little bit just because this was my first time watching this movie. I haven't seen it before. And I initially thought when she was sent up into the attic. Whatever her fucking name was. Rosalind, yeah. Rosalind. And it was like where the uncle used to have his shit, and but the, like the uncle's dead, and all that noise. 
and just like the way that the fucking aunt was being shitty to her and knowing that this was going to be some sort of supernatural shit going on. At that point, my first time through, I thought that she was setting her up to have something supernatural happen to her. Uh, yeah, like she too. knew something was going to happen because she was going to go off in the other room and be like, boil, boil, toil and trouble <laughs> shit. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, setting her up. Yeah, I can see that. But, I mean, it didn't end up going that way. Nobody knew that she was going to get fucked up in the attic. Yeah. Or that sure. she was going to grow a fucking claw. <laughs> yeah. She does have that really menacing look, too, as she's coming out, like a complete oh, that change. Was really cool. That, that was, was really, really good, good on her part, too, yeah. Uh, I think all of the like main actors did good. I think there was times some of the extras could have sold it a little yeah, bit better. Yeah, there was one actress who had a pretty good part. She was the mother of those kids. Some of hers was a little... It uh, wasn't the greatest, let's put it that way. Well, and then like... We're going to skip around a little bit now, but like later on, when you get to like the ritualistic rape scene... Yeah. A lot of the boys didn't seem like they were under the thrall of the cult at all. They just were down for rape. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure that was actually supposed to be the point. Like, these kids all grew up with each other. Oh, it's supposed yeah, to be yeah. they're acting completely different now. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> there, all right. there's, yeah, there's I mean, they might be a little bit down for rape once they realize that it's not against the social norms anymore. But yeah. at the same time, like, I don't think that they were supposed to seem like they were only there because. Of the coven or whatever, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's like, no. The Coven. <laughs> I just watched fucking man. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. All right, so we've talked about the first two victims. Their victim actually is a good one because it's uh, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> All right, so he's the one that's out throwing mud with Angel and his sister Kathy. Right. And they come across the actual claw, right? And then they bring it back to them. It's some Satan's kind of Bible claw. study. Yeah, it's Satan's claw. The Bible study is no, led by no, Fallowfield. I... I don't, that's not Bible study, son. That's that's just school at the time. <laughs> okay, so school for them. And uh, they're passing around the claw, and it spooks some of the uh, the kids. Least sneaky. Oh, oh. wait. Yeah, hi, passing the pouch down the thing? <laughs> Least sneaky fucking thing ever. He's, like He's just like it following all. it. <laughs> just disappeared, sir. At a certain point, why are you passing it behind your back anymore? You're just oh, like... Dude. Oh, the, why aren't I you just playing a, keep away? To go off on a tangent, have you have you ever seen if your classmates get caught up in that with the teacher? Get their get like get notes like and shit caught. Oh yeah, like I don't remember them. it that well, but like I don't remember if like what happened to him or anything. And it wasn't any of those like big dramatic note moments where like the note got read or anything. I probably don't remember that shit. I'm but. not gonna say his name because I don't think he listens anyway. But that's beside the point. But one of my best <clears> friends, <laughs> he got caught. He would draw caricatures of teachers mm -hmm. in like compromising situations, <laughs> and one of our teachers like caught him drawing the pictures, and he did the game where she kept trying to get it and pass it underneath himself behind his back until he finally had to give it up. And uh, this is one of those guys that like never gets in trouble, and that was just like his only vice is just drawing dirty things. <laughs> but I watched it and I felt so bad for him, but I also mm -hmm. giggled. He didn't get in trouble. She thought, but the teacher thought it was funny. Actually, his parents are cool, and they were just like, you know, don't do it anymore. But that's like kind of reminds me of that episode. It's kind of funny. Yeah, they have the claw. She has the claw. Angel has the claw. Yeah, Angel has the claw. The Reverend doesn't like it. Right, it kind of results in that. Long story short, is Mark's not feeling well when he goes home. He's got a little pain in his side. I want to point out, I thought there was something really neat going on that I don't know quite how conscious of a decision it was, but 
almost every scene with the Reverend early in the movie, they find some way of, except for like the school scene doesn't quite fit in, but there's other times when he's shown and things seem just kind of like shit isn't normal there. Like he's <laughs> cradling the snake. Yeah, you're right. And then later on, like once I, things start going witchy, yeah. he suddenly has like the bunny pet and like, if no, you know, it, it does make sense. There are some symbolism with animals, the crow, the rabbit, the snake, which is funny because it's not really a snake. It's like a lizard. Yeah. <laughs> it's a legless lizard. Anyway, a lot of those implications back to Satan and yeah, paganism and all that good stuff. And they keep putting all this shit around him and he's just like, yeah, no, no, here we go. Whatever. No, it's, you're right. I think that is kind of a neat little, almost like a reminder or just a, yes, this is still. Something weird this. is still going weird. Yeah. I like that. Something weird is still going on here. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the clever use of using animals in this film, too. All right. So, Mark, his mom, she's like, you know, have an apple, get some rest if you're not feeling well. She winds up going off to get some medicine. And two little girls come, well, not little, but two girls come by, come play with us, Mark. They lead him out into the woods because Angel wants him. And they play a game of, like, blindfold where he's chasing them around into where she actually chokes him out. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys winds up shooting that little vial, that glass of medicine that his mom has, leads her into that barn, and she finds the body. A little bit later on, that's when Angel seduces the Reverend. She disrobes, you know. That's another thing too. I think about this film where it kind of throws me. Well, initially threw me off was I wasn't anticipating some of the violence, some of the nudity, and things like that in this film. Oh, so. We should talk about that nudity for a second. Yeah, You could say underage because I think she was pretty young. I was about to say, I think when I looked her up and I realized when the movie came out, I did some quick mental math and then I did some real math (laughs) and I'm pretty sure she's 17 in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I know given the time period, you can argue like, oh, that wasn't like, you know, dudes were hanging out with chicks a lot younger. I'm not saying that's right because it's not, but there's a little bit of that argument there. I'm but like, regardless, the she's movie, underage. The movie was released when she was 18. Right. The movie was shot when she was 17. Yeah, exactly. Kind of makes you wonder, too, because she was obligated to do this film because of one of the executive producers, mm-hmm. Tony Tancer, I think, had her under contract. So, uh, who knows? Knowing some of the things we know now... Ugh, she went on to do a bunch of sex comedies, right? Yeah. She was kind of cast in those kind of, like, voluptuous, kind of seductress parts. Probably isn't the only movie you can see her naked in. Oh, no. no. Okay. I I would imagine not. Yeah, so you get that. She tempts him. He's like, be gone. And then they have the funeral for Mark. Pretty much everybody's there. Kathy has the pangs. Angel fucks over the (laughs) reverend. I I just realized, sorry, I skipped over a couple (laughs) of my notes. I really need to talk. So I can't believe I fucking forgot to mention this when we were talking about the fucking witch book. But I had to write down the quote. Because the doctor is talking to the judge, and he's like, didn't Gower describe just such a countenance? Right. It's like, he described to them the face of a fiend. He didn't describe the face, he just said fiend. But then it cuts down to the witch book. Yeah. And it's like a fucking kindergartner's drawing. Oh, no, you're right. It's like (laughs) the face of of Satan, behemoth, whatever. There's a hand, there's like all the stuff that's going to be used it's like Chekhov's gun in a way mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah yeah if you don't know by now this is what this film's about essentially but yeah the drawings aren't that complicated <laughs> and then the one other note I had to make since we're past fucking Mark getting offed was 
him getting invited out to play. Yeah. Two girls pop up and is come out to play with us, Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come on, Mark. No, you're right. That's what makes and me I'm wonder. And I'm just like, play with us, Danny? Yeah. Makes you wonder how influential it was on other people, too. Makes sense. That is kind of, I mean, it's playful the way they get him out, but they fuck him up. Going to Kathy, that was the one that was the most chilling. And from what I read, too, like that wasn't planned ahead of time. It just kind of happened. I kept thinking Homeboy was going to save her. Oh, yeah. Oh, Ralph. He mm-hmm. hears her scream. They just had that encounter. Like He walks her off into the woods until and he, he was, has a split. And he was running the right direction. I thought that like Ugh. as soon as shit started happening, like once the ritualistic rape was going on, I thought he was going to hear that. And at least save her from getting Start killed. Start kicking ass for the Lord. You know what I mean? But <laughs> no. no, he gets there too late. Oh man, and it's it's gruesome too. I mean, the fact that they lead her in there, she's just picking flowers for her brother. Those two boys trick her. They're like, "Oh yeah, we got bigger flowers." It turns into a game of cannibal, and then it turns into them taking her to that old church and raping her, and then <laughs> sacrificing her. So, anytime you were a, as a child off in a field, going off to play with your friends. Did you ever start your bouncing around the field by rolling yourself <laughs> oh, yeah. forward? I, I know you. Oh, my God. What Did, the fuck by is By somersaulting doing? and jumping around. I wonder if that was one of those takes, too, where they're just like, fuck it, keep it in. Fuck <laughs> This is too good. I was like, what the shit did he just do? Yeah, I mean, no did, sense. Did he just turn into a fucking jester or something? There are some goofy things like that, but that's a good one. So when Angel, well, we'll bounce back just a scene, and when she got naked with the Reverend, and he resisted temptation and all that shit, I'm like, the movie could have kind of ended there if he would have done the smart thing. As soon as she left, if he would have just went and woke up Friar Tuck, then they probably would have sent a fucking raven for Matthew Hopkins. Because during that scene, she admits to the murder of Mark. And she came and tried to seduce him. And it's fucking 1700s England, so his word is automatically going to have more say than hers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus he's the reverend, so his word is going to have even more say. But you know what I so think if happened? He goes and says, if he goes and tells Friar Tuck, like, Angel just came and tried to sleep with me, and she confessed to murdering Mark, and then Mark's mother wanders in and says, I just found Mark dead. Yeah, you have all these timelines lining up. Then they're sending for Matthew Hopkins. This is total speculation. What I think probably happened, knowing the time period, knowing that Fallowfield is lonely, is <laughs> <laughs> he went straight to his room and did some business, <laughs> slept it off. <laughs> yeah. He did, he's like, oh, what happened? Yeah, and then he gets, he gets fucked over. She tells on him. She makes up a story about both things, about her being attacked, him disrobing her. And uh, saying something to the effect that what happened to Mark will happen to her, if she tells. Yeah, and so he gets accused. The squire and a couple of the other guys take him to that barn or like where this shit happened. Try to get him to confess. That concurs or it's a congruence with Ralph finding Kathy's body. By the way, worst cult ever if it involves ritualistic rape by Ed Sheeran. (laughs) Okay, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about too. It's like it was creepy enough all do. It's just kind of had that like rapey vibe the whole time. But then the other red haired dude, when he does pull down his trials, he just kind of like, he's just admiring the dude's manhood. And he's like, well, I want to get to some dicking right now. <laughs> that was weird. The fact that it went that far with Kathy yeah. had me sen- 
sincerely wondering if when he dropped Trow, if we were going to legit see like hard on. Well, we did have a guy named Dick Bush <laughs> in this film, our DP. I'm like, ironically enough, I'm like, is that like where this movie's willing to go, where the other ones weren't, and just give us like raging ginger hard on? This made me feel a little bit like. Not necessarily to the full extent, but when the first time I'd seen Last House on the Left, because that's one of the more kind of brutal rape scenes for that time period. I was like, man, I was not anticipating them to actually go through with it the way they filmed it. You know, you'd expect like cutaways or just, you know, different angled shots. Mm -hmm. But no, they give you the whole rigmarole and uh, then she gets stabbed to death and it's like, damn, that's fucked up. But this is too where I feel like the mother, the, the woman who played the mother... Her part was just like, both your kids died, and you're just kind of like almost dismissive about it in a sense. To a certain extent, like these sort of folky movies and culty movies are so intriguing because of the things they don't explain. But to a certain extent, I did kind of wonder, like, for the most part, it seems like exposure to the Satan stuff just turns you into a follower. And oh, the followers are too, yeah. growing the Satan skin, but then you also have just randos growing the Satan skin. And fucking Ralph, the first guy to even run into the fiend, is like the last one to grow anything. And I think it's not really until after his encounter with Margaret, right? They yeah. remove it, and that has an effect. I don't think it's necessarily him discovering that had the effect on him. And half the time, it almost seems like it's being transmitted, almost like fucking zombies. Yeah, that's a good point. Or like a virus, and then other times it's just like I was pops thinking that too. It's like, how did this actually kick off? Or was it like I said, transmutation? They went from. Ralph discovering it, telling, you know... And if it was always random, I guess I wouldn't matter as much, but there's times where you're like, oh, it seems like it's establishing a pattern, and then... Yeah. You know, I wonder, too, how much of that had to do with the fact that they initially wanted to do this as an anthology, with certain segments of the actual film being separate segments. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how much of that, too, had an effect. You know what I mean? Because there are connections, in a way. Some of it is logical like you were saying and some of it's just like just kind of all over the place and it doesn't completely take me out of it but no it doesn't like um in the end they did it in a way where it makes me wish i had more rather than i was okay with it being like oh it's just satan yeah yeah i know you're saying oh it's just being with hanging out Mm -hmm. (laughs) but all right so yeah after kathy we get oh we actually get to where they're chasing around margaret oh right (laughs) throw her in the lake so, I love that right after he got done telling off those guys, and they lose interest and leave because she's saying right away that he's not willing to go out in the water and rescue her until she pops back up, even though it's only waist-deep water. <laughs> oh, yeah. She drowned way too fast. She just gave up. <laughs> that was kind of fucked up. There's actually a little bit of a scene before that. Because of the line, I think it is, is old stump hand Peter goes mm-hmm. to visit the judge and that's when the judge tells him you know that he's ready he also explains peter that is that the kids are killing each other he knows the time is right but he says that he's going to return and use undreamed of measures and i wonder I th- what he meant by that i thought he was going to get a lot more fucked up than he did like i thought he was really going to let those dogs go for a bit it seemed like it especially once she was strung up yeah and he kept looking like over i thought like... he was going to be like well i got what i need <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I would think a film probably of this day and age would probably go through with that. You would actually get that. No, this is more of like, we're just using these as the threat to get some information from you. I mean, this last bit when he comes back was kind of cool because it was like, 
I don't know, it was moving very much with a purpose. Like I said, I really liked his performance and shit. But once you get towards, especially the actual last showdown, everything just feels rushed. I felt the same way. It felt like they needed a way to close it out and within a certain time frame. Because some of it is, I mean, it follows a, a pretty cool little you know plot and a narrative. But that ending does feel pretty rushed, given the circumstances. Okay, first off, after they cut the shit off Margaret, and she fucking runs and all that shit. Yeah. I had to write, do you really just leave the girl that was just talking about following the devil yeah. just in a room so you can go pout outside? <laughs> the thing, too, that was kind of fucked up was she tells Ellen, the mom of Mark and Kathy, she's like, oh, yeah, she's like, I'm the child of Satan. She's like, oh, never mind you. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you just need some rest. It's like, what kind of shit is that? But he's just like, oh, I knew that we couldn't save you, and goes and pouts outside and just leaves her hanging out. Yeah. Like, well, she no was... wonder she's going to fucking run off. All right, this is going to sound a little misogynistic, but... <laughs> Every chance the guy had in this film to hook up with a chick outside of rape, they were like, no, mm -mm, not whatsoever. <laughs> That's a complete change in what you see now is what I'm getting at. It's like, that doesn't happen <laughs> at all. I guess now is as good a time to bring up as any because she does go and run into Angel and they have their little back and forth and she yeah. doesn't have the devil skin anymore. So I'll she's kind of useless to her now. Like what we needed was the skin. Which, by the way, like I mean, I guess the leg would have been enough to make the devil whole enough to do shit. Mm -hmm. But the devil still would have been missing a part. Yeah. It just so happened that now Ralph has it. That made me wonder, too, like how much of the actual touching of or just the proximity of had to mm -hmm. do with the fact that you're going to sprout this stuff on your body. But I kind of wish in the back half of the movie they wouldn't have put Angel in that fucking makeup. <laughs> Yeah, I think her character is a lot scarier as more, as more when wholesome. she's more approachable. Yeah, when she still can pull off just like the innocent schoolgirl, rather than this weird makeup where you're like, <laughs> okay, obviously she's trying to be some sort of weird high priestess or something. Yeah, like, she's like, yeah, exactly. Instead, I mean, she was a really good actress in this movie. Like, yeah. I think the movie's scarier if you allow her to play off the fact that she can, like, switch on a dime between, like, schoolgirl and slut. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I feel like that would be more effective, too, along with the kids in this film, the teens, is to have it more of that feel, like, very sinister. You know, you can still play with the innocence part, you know, mm -hmm. because of their age, lure people in, and then carry out whatever they need to get carried out yeah i just felt like that weird makeup just alienated her too much yeah. you know what i mean like she's now obviously the other whereas before it was kind of like the seductive gateway into this yeah good point once again that wasn't like a huge deal because i thought she still but there was like a, a shift there for her character yeah i liked the way that they didn't show him getting abducted and suddenly he's just at the final ritual. Yeah, good point. There was like that. Uh, I thought that was a really lapse. cool build up where you're like, you don't know what's going to happen. You hear like yeah. the fucking devil's cane getting closer and closer. You're like, oh shit. Son. And then it all basically cuts to black and then he's there. You can see his fucking dumbass curly hair. <laughs> and I say that as someone with giant curly hair right now. <laughs> Man, this is probably another one of those nerd out moments, but for those who follow probably MMA. It's like, this dude looks like Ben Askren a lot. 
has those curls. He kind of has the facial features. Anyway, it's nerding out. But uh, he's there. And the judge and everybody else are ambushing secretly, quietly, the old church lot. First off, with what's going on with Ralph, I had to wonder, why can't all instruction manuals be in the form of dancing naked chicks? Dude, I would learn so much better. <laughs> All the time, if that's how things went. She didn't even have to say anything. She's just kindly... He's like, oh, oh, I got to cut this off. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's all Saw had to do. Yeah, man, can you imagine? <laughs> that film would have been a lot more awesome, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but also, right before that ambush, the villagers are down there, and they're getting ready before the judge even is like, all right, you guys ready? And he gives his little speech, and they go, I, I kind of liked his speech. I wish I would have wrote down parts of it, but I didn't. But they're sitting there and they're arguing like, oh, you can't fucking shoot the devil. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, here comes the judge. And then they just follow him. So apparently you can't shoot the devil, but you can use a claymore to body slam him into a fire. You're damn right. <laughs> that was, holy fuck. All right. If there's any moment in this film that's like, what the fuck? That is the moment. I mean, aside from probably like the costume for. And none of that shit makes any sense. No, like, what the his, fuck was his that? Homeboy is holding this thing under a sheet. Like, you he's ready? got the secret, right? He's got the fucking, the nuke. Yeah. And because of the shape, you're like, it's some sort of special cross, maybe? And he's going to unveil it, and it's going to destroy Satan, and somebody will be like, what is that? And he's like, oh, it was made with gold from King Solomon's temple or something. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> It comes time to square off with Satan, and he unveils it, and it's just a big-ass sword. Yep. <laughs> and he, he ninja jumps on top of him. I was like, oh, shit. I like how they freeze the frame as mm-hmm. the action's happening. Oh, that was cool. I do I like, like that. that. I do like that. It's just the way, like, so once he lifts Get a uh, look Satan at up. the fiend's <laughs> face, and it's just like the fucking kindergartner's drawing. <laughs> I mean, you got to give him credit for uh, making it look actual, <laughs> according to that dictionary. But yeah, even the way that Angel does, she just runs into a pitchfork. It's like, what What the fuck? <laughs> homeboy forgot he even had his pitchfork out. He's like, huh. He looked down, and he's like, oh, shit, that was me. <laughs> My bad. My bad. <laughs> I mean, in one sense, it was for the good. But yeah, just the way that it ends, too. You know, Ralph, he loses the mark. It's gone. Oh, homeboy's just staring into the flame. Fuck the devil up. <laughs> it's like, all right. I guess that works. Yeah. You, that was that was like it? the most bitch example of what the devil is ever <laughs> I've seen. Uh, I mean, him fucking with the town the way he did was cool. was good. But that ends. Like, and the way uh, the town just was just gradually like getting fucked up and like sacrificing each other and shit. That was super fucking cool. All right. I wonder how much that influence of not having a left foot has on the devil as a whole because that's all he needed to complete the transformation it's oh, and the other patch oh yeah yeah damn that's all it takes he's missing a leg <laughs> and a patch that's all it takes <laughs> it's not even the fucking pick Jesus. of destiny yeah what the fuck <laughs> way off this film is still clever it still fits the bill for that folk horror so okay as we ran into deciding to do this movie, we ran into Mark Gaddis calling it part of what, like the Unholy Trilogy or whatever. Mm-hmm. What's your ranking on the trilogy? Um, now that we've done all three, because def- we've talked about Wicker Man, yeah. we've talked about Witchfinder, Witchfinder General, 
Now we've done the Blood on Satan's Claw. So that's that's the old the school. Un- yeah, the, the Unholy Trinity trilogy. I would Yeah, the I Unholy would, Trinity. I would always go with Wicker Man number one. Right. That's the original Wicker Man. <laughs> right. Okay, I'll agree with you there. Wicker Man has to be number one. So now where do you rank the other two? I'm I'm still probably gonna tend to lean towards Witchfinder and then probably this one. See, I think this beat out Witchfinder for me in yeah. the end. This one goes off the rails enough early enough and then the other thing is I kinda look at this like the first half of this movie is Wicker Man, the second half of this movie is Witchfinder General. Yeah, essentially, yeah. It's like the combination of the two anyway. That's a good point. I don't know. Something about it just I mean, I love me some Vincent Price. I really dug Witchfinder General. But overall, like that movie scene Witchfinder General feels super drawn out for how little it really accomplishes. Yeah, and this that. one accomplishes a shit ton in a very it, short it, time. I mean, this one is very direct. There's no doubt. Gives me all the same like folk weirdness that yeah. I need. But I mean, I really do enjoy this film a lot. I think there's just a couple of things that probably held it back from being like superior. Like the ending. Yeah. <laughs> I will shit on this ending all day long. But I, I can't say this. It's hilarious that he fucking claimed that slams That is fucking him, ridiculous. That was almost like watching wrestling. <laughs> Dude, he holds, holds him there for how long, too? Yeah, just like... freeze frame. <laughs> <laughs> and where and he was at, he could have just like went straight onto the fire, but he like turns away for a minute. I know, and man. then comes back. Motherfucker! Like, oh, <laughs> that shit. I mean, granted, it was kind of awesome, but yeah. but still, it's like, oh, damn, devil, you weak. That's, and that's after, shit. and it wasn't after like a showdown with the devil. No, it was like, nope, I'm not gonna let you go this way. Nope, I'm not gonna let you go that way. I'm just gonna Do keep backing shuffle. you up into the fire. Whaboom! Got your ass. Yeah, but. I think this is a film too. Given the right hands, probably could be revisited. Oh, remake it tomorrow. Revised. Please. This could be done so well. Yeah, we've talked about the fact that there's this revival of the folk horror genre. Part of the reason why we chose this film in the first place. I mean, outside of closing out the trinity, but because it's kind of a good lead-in into Midsummer, and the fact that we like Kill List and November and films like that, The Witch, etc. It's just kind of neat to revisit these types of films. Not having that label way back when, mm-hmm. and part of the reason why there's this revival of sorts. No, I was thinking that throughout this, I think you could do a really good remake of this. Oh, no doubt. You wouldn't even have to go the like Suspiria remake route, oh, where it's no, just like no. you don't have to be. You could remake you this could. pretty faithfully, just to modern day standards, and then just rework some things so that they pay out better towards the end act. Yeah, you're right. There's just little revisions. I mean, I wouldn't remake this unless you were willing to make it like a two, yeah, two hour, two hour, two hour ten minute movie. I think so. That way, I think it, it fills out the rest of that. Give rush it time part. to breathe. Give it more time to be creepy in the middle. Yeah. Get it weird just as quickly, though. They proved that you can get weird quickly, and it I, it works. I do so. appreciate that about this film too. Is like. For timepieces, too, some of that shit tends to lag. This one's like, boom, it's already in your face. I would say, and then just live in the weirdness for a while. Live in the fucking town going downhill yeah. and shit. And yeah, just, you could explore more of the townsfolk and stuff like that, too, if you wanted. I mean, not even, like, the townsfolk, but, like, just live in that, like, terror of the fact that, like, the people are gradually getting possessed or Dude, yeah. whatever. Well, yeah, I think this is a good one. For whomever, given the right hands, it could be a really good remake of sorts. But, no, I enjoyed it. Like I said, it's nice to now have that conclusion, too, with those three films. And not that that was our intent when we first did this. It's kind of neat, though, because it makes me think about those films and the impact they have on a lot of filmmakers. I mean, this has kind of been 
unintentionally, this almost past year has now been like the year of us doing culty type yeah. movies where like, oh, fucking turns out Housewife is all about a fucking cult working in the background. <laughs> That's like, a good point, man. There's a lot of that too. I'm digging it. Yeah, I'm all for it. I like that kind of movie. We're not doing it intentionally. No, or just else we a... probably would have named our fucking podcast <laughs> something different. But yeah. but no, it's just one of those things that we both enjoy, whether it's coincidence or you know, sometimes we do plan it out. It's still need to know that that is happening in film right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we keep saying it, but Midsummer looks dope. So oh, dude, I know I'm excited about that, and I think we'll probably have a nice little crowd with us too. I think so too. I'm done with what I have to say about this movie, though. No, the only last little bits I'll have to share with is just. I wouldn't give this film any due without mentioning the fact that the score is really fucking tight on this film. Like, it's really good. It stands out. I think it has some good moments, too, when the tension does rise. It doesn't tend to overdo things. I think it's right in the pocket. I really liked the score. There was, like, one moment in the film, and I can't think of it now. I almost made a note about it, but then I was like, whatever. The rest of the score is doing well enough that I'm not going to shit on it too much. But since you're bringing it up, there was one part where I felt like it dropped out way too early. Yeah. It almost felt like it dropped out just so that you could have the actor's voice come in. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like he didn't even need to talk right there. Like if you would have just like had the score come slowly down, it would have been yeah. much better. But Yeah, I think um, overall it, it still did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it was cool to see the landscape of England too for that time period and trying to reconstruct it in a way where it felt authentic. I think they did a fairly good job of that. Actors gave a good performance. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty solid film. It doesn't blow my mind, but it's still... A fun folk horror film. I agree. Glad we did it. Shit, we got to figure out what we're going to do. Not we yet. We don't have a plan, do we? <laughs> Not yet. So we're going to figure out what we're going to do next week. But hopefully you guys decide that you want to listen to us next week, no matter what we do. And in order to do that and make sure that you get the episode as soon as it's out and all that shit, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. And we would also greatly appreciate it if you would like rate and review us however you're listening right now. And especially if it's over on Apple Podcasts, because that's still like the biggest provider and gets us best into the algorithm and all that shit. You can always head over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There's links for ways to listen to us up on the top. The latest episode always streaming down at the bottom in between portals to all of our online shit, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram. We're trying to use the Insta more and more because we know so many people use it and kind of fuck Facebook. But (laughs) (laughs) you can always contact us through the website or by emailing us squirmcast at gmail.com. I think I did it all. I think you're right. Yeah. We still throw out the fact that we take suggestions, recommendations. Once again, if you need some eyes on your film and if you're in the film industry, let us know. You know, we'd be happy to take a look at it, if nothing else. If you want to just talk, yeah. we talk. We like talking. We obviously fucking talk. Hundreds of hours of our voice. <laughs> That's right. But shit, we got to go figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, I'm excited about that too. But yeah, somewhere in between, you're going to hear Midsummer this episode and what we have next. That's right. So uh, for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Out.